0: Welcome to Ex Libris On Air, and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors.
1: The title of the book, The Dark Side of Liberace, and the author is Sparrow Pastos, and Sparrow joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Sparrow.
2: Yes, thank you.
1: Great to have you with us, Sparrow. Now, Liberace, for most people, what would you say, over 50 today or 60 would know who he is?
2: Yes, uh, from the uh, television series, right? not anything else.
1: Okay, yes, but Liberace was a flamboyant, incredible entertainer, just Packed them in in Las Vegas for many many years, didn't he? You're correct. So let's talk about Liberace. What was his real name? Uh, Vladimir Liberace. And they called him. What did they call him? What did his parents call him? Lee. Called him Lee. Lee. Okay. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about his parents because it's an important part of his life as well.
2: Yes, I I I gather. Uh, That is, his mother and father, his father was Italian. They met uh, uh, at the World's Fair, Uh, but she was a farm girl. I don't know what else to say.
1: Well, she was, according to some things that you've written, a very beautiful woman and the father, what was right. the, the father? Was there music in the family?
2: Oh, of course, yeah. His father played the uh, tuba. He was proficient at it. He fell in love with the uh, uh, companion, and uh, he left her, and uh, that, that's
1: it. So she raised Liberace. Right. She raised him. And do we know much about Liberace's musical training or how he became so good oh, at what yes. he did? He,
2: he, he experienced classical music from the uh, University of Wisconsin.
1: I think that's what we remember most about him, because he was such a flamboyant entertainer, but at the same time, he was an accomplished pianist.
2: Oh, of course, yeah.
1: Thank and, you. And most most of the time when we uh, saw him on TV, or if you happened to see him in concert... In Las Vegas, or I'm sure other venues, you were probably just blown away. I remember thinking, my goodness, this guy can really play. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. and uh, he had several lovers, and uh, he tried experimentation to all parts of his body.
1: What do we know about him becoming homosexual? When did that all occur? Was it very young age?
2: Oh, of course, yeah, it was a very young age. and he always had a problem with that uh, It was an era of, of of quiet.
1: Yeah, we just didn't talk about it, did we? We didn't talk about no, homosexuality no, no. back in the sixties and the seventies. Right. I think we all knew that Liberace was gay. That there was—I don't think there was any doubt, was there?
2: No, 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 no. No,
1: no. Everybody knew, but for some reason, even you know, back then it was—he was accepted. I mean, at that time, homosexuals were not accepted at all.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah, in
1: the mass population, they weren't. uh, They uh, were—they were shunned, part of society. Right, but he he because I guess just because of his personality, personality. Right, because of his personality and also, of course, his incredible talent. His uh, his as a pianist, uh, he was just accepted.
2: Yes, of course. Yeah, he he wandered on to uh, the television series, magnified
1: that. When did that TV show run?
2: 50s and 60s.
1: Okay, 50s and 60s. Do you remember the name of it, besides being Liberace? <laughs>
2: uh, Liberace, that's, that was it.
1: That was it. <laughs> That kind of said it all, didn't it? I mean, he, he just had that unique place in American society and culture at that time.
2: And most of the grandmothers uh, adored
1: him. It's almost like we used to say, and here's Johnny, we'd all know who that is, wouldn't we? Yeah, yes. At least f- f- from our age group, you know, I mean, we all know Johnny Carson. I mean, Liberace, and he was on Johnny Carson a lot. I remember seeing him there.
2: Of course, yeah.
1: And he had a lot of well-known actors and musicians and singers and of entertainers on his show. Right, the TV show uh, finally comes to an end, and then he is the name in Las Vegas. Yes, of course. Did you ever uh, see him? Did you ever see him in Las Vegas? Or? No,
2: no, okay. no, no. But he, he, he developed into a, an entertainer w- where he competed with the uh, Mario Lanza,
1: and, of course, around his success, there was lots of money and lots of people around him, and some of them were taking, of course, as always, big advantage of him. Right, right. Even stealing from Liberace? Were people stealing from Oh, of from course, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And his uh, manager, Seymour, was uh, a thief.
1: And his lawyer, Our
2: excellence.
1: Yeah, and his lawyer.
2: Uh, and his lawyer. Yeah.
1: I know you've written that the lawyer made some twenty-five million dollars from yeah. Liberace. So Liberace, his his uh, fortune was uh, beyond comprehension at that time. Right. Well, he died in nineteen eighty-seven, and then the battle over his estate just just exploded, didn't it?
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: So you had his attorney who was trying to get his piece, and I guess you also had a, a niece. Was she in the middle of it, too? I mean, she claimed there were hundreds of millions oh, of dollars.
2: yes. She uh, uh, also named Liberace, and Ina May uh, Liberace, and she fought him in court, and she gathered the family... To rally,
1: and of course he was buried in Forest Lawn, overlooking Warner Brothers Studio, Warner Brothers Studio, the famous uh, movie house. But his movie, he tried the movies, but it didn't work.
2: No, no, it failed him. But uh, he he survived with the
1: uh, with with his with his TV show. Yes. Yeah, the ABC seven-year contract, and it was so popular. And then, of course, all his uh, time in Las Vegas. So his last years before he died, did he suffer a long time with AIDS?
2: Um, about two years. He had his uh, lover die from death.
1: Very tragic, obviously, just very tragic, right. uh, such a, an accomplished, uh, talented individual, and is there the rest of the story in this as far as, d- did his estate ever get settled, or is it, you know, was it no. a... No,
2: no, it was never settled. He had his Las Vegas sister move out uh, from the, the luxury
1: home, you write at the uh, concerning his. This is beyond comprehension. What happened uh, after his funeral? But they even reopened the casket, didn't they?
2: Yes, of course. It turned yeah. into
1: a circus. Right. Yeah, we won't go into the details. You have to find out by reading the book, "The Dark Side of Liberace." We've been talking to Sparo Pastos. He's the author and. Fascinated with Liberace. Uh, Never knew the man, right? You never knew him, but you were just fascinating and did a lot of research. You did a lot of research. Exactly. And of course, where can we get your book, Pastos?
2: Barnes Noble, Ex
1: Libris. I guess we can go to Amazon Books and get it there as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sparrow, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Okay. Thank you. Very much.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
3: Have you heard?
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris.
1: The title of the book, Deja Vu, and the author is Jane Grant. And Jane joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Jane.
4: Hi, how are you?
1: Great to have you with us. Well, this is a suspenseful, dramatic love story. Some call it a heart Pounding thriller, especially with this kind of theme where she lives in Silicon Valley, but something happened in Chicago and she doesn't remember, but something happened.
4: Yes. The main character in the book, a middle aged, divorced, uh, single mother, has a great job in Silicon Valley, and all of a sudden she sees someone. And she just has a feeling of deja vu. Something has happened. That character that I just saw reminds me of something. She goes back to her home and then she remembers her past in Chicago. And she said, Something is driving me to remember my past. So she leaves her safe environment in the Silicon Valley and travels to Chicago where, trying to find the answers to her past, she sees two people that call her by a different name. So then she goes to the hospital in Chicago that she remembered and she's looking in the archives there to try to remember and piece together things. And she goes back to her hotel exhausted, feeling... I've gotten somewhere, but yet I have a feeling that I don't have the answers I need. And then she finds, instead of jetting back on a commercial flight to her safe California home, she's kidnapped. And she's kidnapped by people that are nice to her, but yet she's fearful of them. And of all places... Instead of taking someplace scary and off the wall, she's jetted to an estate in Hawaii. And she's treated like family, but yet very, very particular. They don't want her to know anything. They don't want her to see anybody. And she's sheltered by them. And the suspense continues of why... Why is this? Well, meantime, she's trying to find the answers. And she develops a romance with the tall, dark um, son of the family who is relatively her ex-husband who she thought was killed, brother, and of all names, Bond. (laughs) And he's able give her just enough security in being kidnapped and away from her family, away from her daughter, to want to develop a bond with him to try to find the answers. And he, in turn, being taken with her steps just close enough the romance factor where he backs away every time it looks like something is going to happen between them.
1: So her past, they don't want her to remember.
4: Correct, because her past, her husband who was shot was their son.
1: So this mystery... This mystery that you have woven always keeps us right on the edge. We never know exactly where it's going.
4: Correct. And in the meantime, the reader finds out that her husband, who she remembers, was shot. And then she's given a new identity and sent to California for her own protection to live is still alive and we travel around the world by seeing what he's doing in his spy life adventures and it's really quite entertaining and quite dramatic
1: well I love the way you opened up with the story with this little fender bender but this man does he recognize her?
4: Well, she recognizes him. Ah. That's but, what brings her to open what happened.
1: But he, do, but she doesn't know why she recognizes him. But there's something that keeps driving her to think more about this.
4: Yes, and that um, causes her travels to Chicago, and then from there she... Um, All the escapades that she has, being on the private estate and trying to remember everything, but yet being so scared and fearful, fearing the father, who is the head of the family at the estate.
1: Kind of a little mafia kind of situation? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, this book has kind of a James Bond feel to it, doesn't it?
4: Yes, that's what I was striving for. And I think it um, developed that, because with the travels of both of the brothers, we go all around the world. We go to Florida, we go to Venezuela, we go to Portland, Oregon, we also go to the wineries in Napa.
1: So the romance is uh, how would you describe the romance? It, so, it sounds like it's all in the shadows, if you will.:
4: Yes. Um, well, she is remembering her lost husband while she is following falling for his brother. Um, the character bond which at the time she doesn't know the relation and it's the suspense of will she find the romance with the brother and will the brother what exactly um, will he lead her to and and
1: and why Actually, And why was her husband shot? Yeah, it sounds like he was... Somebody tried to kill him.
4: Yes. Well, there is a... In the noted world of the Mafia, there is the enemy family, which um, shot at the husband while he was, ironically, pushing the baby carriage in the park in Chicago of her daughter. And then because of who she was and who her husband was she was whisked off for protection she was given the daughter and she was just told that her husband died but in the crux of the matter they were trying to protect her and protect her daughter's life
1: so, do we get to know the villains well in this uh, do we I mean how do you uh, this this is such a intriguing style that you write your your style is just it you feel the tension right away right in the opening pages. so are, are you revealing everything or do you just kind of keep us wondering?
4: well I'm putting you in the mindset of the main character because she is bombarded with questions and the answers come in the very final chapters when she, at the end, she is reunited with her quote-unquote dead husband and then she was finally able to find the answers and find the meaning for everything that happened to her.
1: Why did you write this book?
4: Because I saw a need for it. There wasn't really anything on the market going in a romance spy thriller. There's the James Bond character out there now, which... Actually, the female character in the James Bond novels is just for show, I think. I wanted to actually get in the mindset of these people and get the reader lost in what is going on, who can I trust, what will happen next. And I wanted, was really aiming for a good action movie which reading this novel will take you directly into that. Pure entertainment
1: and guessing. (laughs) Pure entertainment, guessing, a thriller, as we already mentioned, a a heart-pounding thriller. So, will there be a sequel?
4: You know, I really think that that would be great. Um, I just want to get a good portion of the audience involved in this book and get them wanting the thriller. The sequel follow-up edition. I want to hear the reader ask for that.
1: The title of the book Deja Vu and we've been talking with Jane Grant, the author. What's the best way for us to get your book Deja Vu?
4: Well, you can go on Amazon Or you can go to the website Ex Libris, or it can be ordered in Barnes & Noble.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jane, for joining us on Ex Libris
0: On Air.
4: Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas. Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Uplift Project, Enhancing and Propagating Intelligence and Longevity. And joining me is the author, R. Robert Holson, who joins me from Washington State. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you
5: very much. pleased to be
0: here.: Well, this is an ambitious book, an uh, ambitious work. I, I, in looking over your history, your biography, uh, you have a, a rather colorful background uh, working with care and working with the Peace Corps, and uh, have uh, basically been uh, uh, op- had the opportunity to travel and work around the globe. Is that, uh, is that a good description of your background? I
5: think so,
0: yes. And and also a professor. Yes, that's right. This so, has this has an, two
5: careers. One in <laughs> one in uh, aid projects with care, and one as
0: a professor. Excellent. The book title, The Uplift Project, is intriguing. You have a, a moonscape or a, a landscape that looks like a moonscape on, on the cover. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, explain to my listeners and to me, because your book is uh, 300 and some pages, and uh, it goes into a lot of detail. You have uh, have done a research, almost a research document. Would Would that be also the way to describe it?
5: Yes, it has over 1,200 scientific references. So there's certainly that aspect. But it's not heavy. I mean, it's not something that the average person would not be able to access and understand.
0: The one thing I, that I, I, yeah, the, myself with the The one the one thing that I did find controversial, maybe, and listeners don't get upset with me, don't get upset with Robert. Uh, he claims or has said or, or stated in here that uh, that uh, female IQ is uh, generally considered not as high as as male IQ. Is that, am I under? Did I under- read that correctly?
5: Not really. Oh, no. good. It's Thank goodness. Not a question goodness. of the maximum IQ. It's a question of the distribution. Okay, males are both stupider and smarter. At one <laughs> end of the distribution, there are more dumb males. At the other end of the desk distribution, there are more Albert Einsteins.
0: Gotcha. Well, this is fascinating. Yeah. Did did that uh, statement or that paragraph give you any grief when uh, readers started you're uh, uh, looking at your your findings?
5: No, not really, because I had graphs showing that distribution. There was actually one one illustration that showed that the uh, females and males were almost exactly the same average, but that uh, males were both dumber at one end and smarter than the other, and then females were more similar to each other.
0: Interesting. Well, I, I will tell you I'm married to a spouse who is smarter than me, and uh, if you don't believe it, just <laughs> ask her. <laughs> and And I hope she's not listening to the program <laughs> uh, the uh, the the idea of the uplift project you mentioned uh, not only uh, humans but also uh, the animal kingdom I think in your research what what is the the general theme or the general idea behind the uplift project?
5: The general idea is twofold one is to enhance human intelligence of membership and the other is to enhance the longevity or life expectancy of the membership. Right now, for instance, in the United States, the readership probably is anywhere between 115 IQ up, and uh, the longevity is probably around... American longevity is actually very, very low. Compared to world averages, a more industrialized country, really, maybe around seventy. Yeah, yeah, we don't do it all well in longevity.
0: That's a um, that's a surprise.
5: Uh, well, the Japanese, for instance, are the longest-lived nation. They live eighty-five years. We're closer to seventy-five. Wow, it's a big gap. It's a big gap.
0: What do you think is causing that? What what is the the reason that the United States, for example, as you've as you've uh, indicated, does not have the longevity that other countries do do experience?
5: Well, there there are several things. Um, one is diet, certainly. Our diet is not exactly optimal if you compare it to the Japanese diet, for instance. Uh, interestingly enough, it's not smoking. It's not Japanese smoke more than we do. So hmm. it, it seems to be at least partly dietary. And,
0: um, and the Japanese health system, uh, is it is it similar to, to ours, at least as far as care? I, I think there probably are genuine differences between us.
5: Yeah, there are, but it seems to be more a question of, you know, diet and environment than it is the actual health care itself. When you come right down to it, health care is still not extending a life, a huge amount. True. Well, I have to say the Japanese have a life expectancy of 85, we have 75, and the difference doesn't seem to be so much in our health care system as in diet,
0: smoking, and other factors. Uh, they are prone to eat more seafood, do you think that's a contributing factor that may be the key? Probably, yes. Hmm.
5: Seafood is usually helpful in life extension.
0: What other industrialized countries have an unusually high longevity rate?
5: Let's see now. Um, Most of the European countries, for instance, have higher, higher longevity rates than the United States. But again, it doesn't seem to be so much a question of the health care per se as it is of diet and smoking and
0: that kind of thing. I've traveled to Europe extensively and and uh, smoking is a rather popular uh, sideline or, or or it pastime is, is and that's interesting that their their life expectancy actually is a little bit uh, higher than the United States
5: Yes, it is. It is. and like I say, it's it's definitely not the smoking; it's it's making the difference. Have,
0: have you been Have you been able to correlate that perhaps to stress or the stress factors related to the, um, the the environment that we live in?
5: No, you know, there's no. I have at least I haven't been able to discover any good metric for stress in societies. You know let say that Society A has 10% more stress than Society B means it would have to have some way of measuring societal stress, and I, I haven't been able to find it. That's not to say that it may not be possible in the future, but it doesn't seem to be something that's available now.
0: And your Uplift project concept, you say, will also be extended, you hope. To dogs, chimps, dolphins, elephants—is that uh, how how would that uh, affect them? And how does it how did it get how does it get integrated into their lifestyle?
5: Okay, well, of course, it would affect them immensely, and they would be obviously captive animals—not exactly zoo animals, but uh, project animals—and they would be undergoing an even more rapid extension both of lifespan and of. Uh, intelligence, but then of course the breeding would be entirely in the project hands. It wouldn't depend upon human choice.
0: So the, it could
5: move faster.
0: The the project or, the project itself have, have you done any uh initial launchings of the concepts in your book? No. No.
5: It's um we're waiting we're trying to put together a society where the membership would be uh, paying monthly dues and from those monthly dues we would uh, take the money and put it into that kind of research. Right now, I don't have that sort of money.
0: Right. You you talk about genetic research. Is that a, a key a, key in, in a, a key ingredient in, into what you are proposing?
5: Yes, and it will become increasingly so as our understanding of the genetics and intelligence and longevity improves right now. Um, we've got maybe four definite longevity genes we know about. And I don't mean longevity, I mean IQ genes that we know about. There's got to be a lot more. We need much more research here. Yes. And the more research we have, the more genes we'll identify and the more we'll be able to choose. And I mean, it may be just conceivable that there are four genes, only four genes that would increase everybody's, IQ, if they had them, but we don't know that. We really know very little about the uh, genetics of IQ and not much more about the genetics of uh, longevity. So that is one of the major foci of this effort, is to increase that knowledge.
0: And, and what is what is your, what are your thoughts on getting it launched? I guess other than the funds that are needed, what what would be the first? Let's say I wanted to be a part of your organization or part of the the project itself. If I were to uh, to. To be a part of that, what would be the first step I would encounter in in uh, learning or growing what, in intelligence? What
5: we're, trying, okay, what we're trying to do is create a society where members would pay $50 a month in return for which they would get constant updates and information and so on and participate in the effort.
0: And how long did it take you, uh, Professor, to, to finish this book? 300 and some pages. That's uh, That's an ambitious was, work, and it's well-researched.
5: It six year effort
0: right and the the hope for this is what besides the, the the i guess most obvious enhancing intelligence and longevity are there other goals in in this uh, effort
5: well the only other goal and again it, it's all about enhancing intelligence and longevity is to create an actual society with monthly meetings and monthly dues that would be involved in the entire effort from the outset.
0: The idea of longevity is important to most people. What do you think is the possibility? What could we achieve if we did some corrections maybe in our eating habits and our lifestyle?
5: Well, we already have fairly good data on that from countries. For instance, the Japanese longevity is the world's greatest at 85 that's almost 10 years greater than American longevity. Right. So we've got plenty of room just to catch up with the Japanese. And there's no reason to believe that that is the the maximum possible oh, It's just the, uh, the amount that you see.
0: And yeah, I heard, heard one speaker just a few months ago suggest that 110 or 115 might be what we should be achieving now.
5: Well, you see, actually... It depends on who you're talking about. Uh, For our readership, I would be absolutely astonished if the average was not higher than 115 already. Wow. I mean, people with educations in this country are known to have higher IQs, and 115 is is just about what you would expect for a, let's say, a junior college graduate.
0: So we've
5: got plenty of room to that end plenty of room at that end to expand.
0: Do you think it's education that will stimulate that uh, intellectual growth, or is it something else?
5: Sure. No, it, well, there are other factors, of course, that I go into in the book, things like nutrition and so on, uh, but no, mostly education. Most of the
0: education. You have, you have mentioned funny. that your, your, your book is a fairly simple read, at least from your perspective, uh, that any, any man, even me, uh, even a non-scientist, could read it and understand the basic concepts. It, is this also perhaps a study guide for those who might be in the teaching field?
5: Yes. Yes, I think so, because, again, it contains a lot of information about the biology both of the intelligence and the longevity. It's just valuable in its own right.
0: In a couple of sentences, describe for my listeners how they should perceive the titled book, The Uplift Project. How would you describe that to them?
5: Well, uh, I think the book, I don't know, you can tell me, but I think the book describes it fairly well. What we want to do is convert that leadership into a membership where there are monthly meetings of the members and monthly dues paid, so that there's a hands-on, almost daily, in a, you know back-and-forth relationship between the material in the book and the material in the society members, or material used by the society members. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. It does. You, you are, again, hoping to positively influence the reader. And also enhance their health and perhaps even increase their intelligence or their IQ. Yes.
5: Yes. Well, again, some of these things are more fluid than others. Right. Of course. Both of them, however, can be manipulated environmentally and increased environmentally, which is what we hope to accomplish with the book, of course
0: fascinating concept the idea is uh, certainly new and for some maybe even radical the title of the book again is the uplift project love the name of the book enhancing and propagating intelligence and longevity and those are subtitled uh, uh, descriptions of your book that most people will be attracted to my author r robert holson mr holson where do we get copies of your book
5: Well, you can get them from Libris directly, or from many bookstores. And of course, if the bookstore doesn't have it, they're always happy to order it for you. And I'm going to be going about the country doing um, book exhibits in selected bookstores. Maybe you'll see me there. I hope so.
0: Wonderful. Do you have a website developed yet?
5: Yes, um, my website is robertpfc like private first class at gmail.
0: Okay, excellent. And those who uh, don't have it in their local bookstore can do so by asking the uh, bookseller to order it in sure. by request. And sure. uh, The title, again, sure. is The Uplift Project. Good title and an interesting read, 337 pages. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Well,
5: thank you very much. I'm very pleased.
0: Good visiting with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors, right here on Ex Libris On Air.